sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. All right. Let's talk about sex. A little bit, a little bit. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things. Thank you, Pitch Perfect. Thank you, 90s music. Tonight, we're going to reflect on sex. And it's not a difficult thing to reflect on. It's in our songs. It's on our billboards. It's on our computers. It's on the radio. It's used to sell chocolate biscuits. Sex is scratched into the tables at your school. Sex is everywhere. With so many negative things about sex in our world, is it possible to please God with sex? Does God look at sex and frown? What does Jesus have to say about sex? After all, as well as sex being plastered everywhere that we look, sex is in the Bible. From chapter 2 onwards, because God created sex, Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. In this chapter, God has made man and he's made woman. And then in verse 24, the man is united to his wife in marriage and then they become one flesh. What does that mean? They had sex. And at that moment, God is not up there in heaven going, oh no, guys, what are you doing? He's stoked. This is all... His idea, which means it's worth pointing out that God isn't actually there to stop you having fun. God invented life, he invented sex, and he knows how it's best used. And he wants, uh, right there you see how how sex is uh, intended, how God wants sex to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in marriage. But if God isn't against sex, then why does it seem like there are so many rules? See, the world says to us, get as much sex as you can with as many people as you can. And God's view between a husband and a wife in marriage just seems so restrictive. But if sex was a car, then this is God's view of sex. It's impressive. It's special. It's a big deal. Now, if you had one of these, would you just let any random kid drive it? No way. It's way too special. This is a car to look after. But I'll show you how our society thinks of sex. It's no big deal. It's not special. It's so impressive that you'd lend it out to almost anyone. (laughs) So it's not that God is down on sex. It's actually that our society has devalued sex. See, God's not out there to ruin our fun. He just knows that he's given us a Ferrari. And he knows that you'll have way more fun in that Ferrari like this than you will like this. You'll have more fun in a Ferrari that works well than in one that's been totaled. And I'm guessing that if you had a Ferrari, you'd probably have some rules about how you'd allow people to use it. Am I right? The world says sex isn't that special. Do it early, do it often, do it with whoever. Statistics say we regret it. We should have listened to our designer. I'll give you one more illustration of this. It's a, it's a probably bad illustration, but it makes the point. See, sex is designed to unite two people 
Uh, We saw that in Genesis chapter 2. It's the closest that you can get to another person. Scientists have actually found that chemicals are released that build trust and bonding between two people. And that's the way God designed it. It's almost like sticky tape. Okay, bad analogy, but go with it. Our society says, look, it doesn't matter who you have sex with. It doesn't matter how many. Just try before you buy. And it's like getting that piece of sticky tape and going stick, rip. Stick, rip. Stick, rip. And it's no wonder that breaking up with people hurts so much. But what happens to that sticky tape? It gradually loses its power. And you've ruined this special thing that God gave us to bond you to the most important person in your life, to your husband or your wife. God knows how special sex is and how it's meant to be used. And so friends, none of God's commands are there to wreck your life. All of God's commands come out of his love. We think we know how to make the best of this life. We think we know better than the one who designed it. I don't think so. So God created sex as a good gift and he wants us to enjoy it. So how do we do that? How can we please God with sex? Well, the first thing to see from the Bible tonight is that we are to avoid sexual immorality. Come to the passage that was read out for us, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and have a look at verse 3. It says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? It's basically doing sex the wrong way. It's not the way God intended it. That is, between a man and a woman in marriage. So sexual immorality is sex not done God's way. Sex outside of marriage, and and there's lots of different ways that that's expressed. It's not just having sex. It's anything that's sexual. So verse number three, God is saying, avoid it. Avoid sexual immorality. Now I think the idea of avoiding something is a deliberate action. Being purposeful in avoiding it. Now, you all know how to avoid things. You know how to avoid that person at school that you don't want to talk to at the moment. And so you kind of walk uh, on the different side of the, the pavement and you kind of look down so you don't have to look him in the eye. We all know how to avoid things. Here in the Bible, we're being told to avoid being sexually immoral. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it actually says, flee sexual immorality. Or in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, it says, There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. So avoiding sexual immorality, it's not seeing how close you can get to the fire without getting burnt. That's not what it means to avoid sexual immorality. Sexual desire is powerful. It's kind of like being covered in petrol and you're holding a match. You'd be an idiot to ask, How close can I get this match without myself getting burnt? A better question is, how far away from me can I get this match? To avoid sexual immorality, we are to run the opposite direction. Don't try to get as close as you can without getting burnt, but run the opposite direction. Get as far away as possible from being sexually immoral. And how do we do that? Well, number one, learn to control your own body. Have a look at verse number four. That each of you should... Oh, sorry. So, starting verse 3, you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Okay, the idea is controlling your own body. But see that it says learn? 
It says they learn because by nature we're out of control. And we need to keep learning to be self-controlled. We need to be taught to be self-controlled. And one of the key ways that people lose self-control when it comes to sexual immorality is alcohol. Now for the person, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the person over 18, alcohol in and of itself, it's not a problem. The problem is when it's drunken in excess. Why? Because you no longer have control over your body. You can no longer be self-controlled. And hence, many teenagers on the Central Coast every weekend make stupid sexual decisions because they drink too much alcohol. Now, it might be helpful for you to set boundaries to help you be self-controlled in these areas. Don't put yourself in a stupid situation. Don't go to that party if you're going to be tempted to drink too much and then be tempted to do other things. Don't put yourself in situations where there's the possibility of losing self-control. That's why to be self-controlled, you need to flee. You need to run the opposite direction. And if tonight you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, don't put yourselves in situations where you're likely to be tempted to make dumb sexual decisions. Don't go to one another's houses when no one else is home. Don't hang out in a room with the door closed. Maybe don't even hang out in a room just the two of you by yourselves. I'll tell you a great idea. A great idea is to talk to each other about setting up some boundaries. These are like lines that you guys decide on that you won't cross. Now, the key with a boundary is you don't want to set it right at the edge of the cliff. You want to set it back a bit so that even if you fall over the boundary, you still haven't fallen over the cliff. And so um, don't make your boundary, don't have sex, but then lie in a room with the light off on a bed together. And in fact, don't wait until you're on that bed to have this whole conversation. I don't think you're going to be thinking all that clearly then. Maybe you want to decide on some boundaries tonight. Lines that will stop you getting into some stupid situations. Let me give you some of the, the boundaries that I've got, that I've learned from mistakes that I've made. Now, I'm not doing this talk as someone who's nailed living for God. I've sinned many times in this area. And I'm actually, one of the reasons I was so keen to do this talk is to spare you guys some of the mistakes I've made. But here are some of my boundaries. One is never being in a place alone with my girlfriend. We won't go to each other's houses when, uh, unless there's other people there. We won't hang out in rooms with the door shut. Give you another one. We don't lie down together. Another one is not kissing. We've actually noticed that couples who kiss seem to have bigger battles with this stuff. Uh, and so we're not going to go there. Now you guys got to come up with your own kind of little things that you'll do. But let me urge you tonight to be one who learns to be self-controlled. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. Because given the opportunity, you won't be self-controlled. The next one there, have a look at verse number 5. It says, Avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body, not, verse 5, in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. Now, who knows what the difference between lust and love is? Just a show of hands, you don't need to shout it out. Who knows the difference between lust and love? A couple of you guys. I've got at least one for you, lust and love. What do they have in common? They both start with L and they both have about four letters. Beyond that, I think the similarities end. Lust is not love. Lust is when you treat the other person like a pleasure machine, like they're a piece of meat, like they're an object to gratify yourself. 
Now, my friends at school, they used to love to ask me, how far can you go? You know, as a Christian, can you pash? Can you do... And they would just ask me all these questions. Now, if, if you've ever asked that question, it could be that you're asking the wrong question. Because it doesn't really sound like you're trying to flee sexual immorality. But actually, this passage gives you the answer. Where's the line? Look at verse number 5. Not in passionate lust. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So looking at someone and lusting after them is desiring them. It's wanting them sexually. If they're not your husband and wife, you're actually desiring something that's not yours. Jesus says your heart is basically committing adultery with them. That desire is for your husband or your wife. So how far can you go with a girl or a boy? Well, you're to avoid anything that will cause you to lust after them. So can you put your hands in that place? Probably not. If you can without lusting, maybe there's something wrong with you. Uh, Can you make out? Maybe not. But the answer is actually not to draw up a list of things that are okay and, and things that aren't. It's just to avoid things that make you lust. If you're a Christian, God wants you to avoid sexual immorality. It says, not in passionate lust like the pagans. And the call here is to be different to the world. Not like the pagan who does not know God. We're to be different in the way that we think about sex. You ought to be different uh, in the way that you think about sex than your friends at school who don't know Jesus. And as well as changing the way that we treat people, maybe this will change uh, the way you use the internet. Maybe you ought to avoid using the internet when no one else is around. Maybe you ought not to know the passwords to get on the internet. It might also mean that you don't watch TV without Christian family or friends uh, with you because you might be tempted to flick to the wrong channel. Even the commercials aren't helpful at times. I would definitely encourage you not to watch music video clips. They are called pornography on television at 9am on a Saturday morning. They are disgusting. So verse number five, do you get the point? We're to avoid sexual immorality by being self-controlled and living in an appropriate way that's different to the world who doesn't know God. Now have a look at verse six. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. If you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend at the moment, the chances are you probably won't marry them. It might be a shock to you, but if you're 15, 16, maybe even 18, the person that you're currently going out with, you probably won't marry them. If I look back over the last couple of years at EV Youth, oh, there's been lots of girlfriend, boyfriend type stuff. Not many of them have ended in marriage. Not many at all. And therefore, if you're going out with someone, the person that you're currently going out with, one day, that guy might be someone else's husband. Or that girl might be someone else's wife. Guys, you're wronging the guy that will marry your current girlfriend by going too far with her now. Continue on in verse 6. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. If you haven't worked it out yet, we need to take this teaching from the Bible seriously. Because we must all stand before the throne of the living God and give an account for how we've conducted ourselves 
in regard to sex and relationship. Because as we saw last week, if you were here, God knows. He knows how we think, and knows what we say, and he knows what we do. Now the final thing on this negative side, uh, just to look at, is verse 8. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Do you see what happens if you ignore what's going on here? If, If, as you listen to this, you're not listening to me. I'm just reading through the passage. If you reject this, you're not rejecting me. You're not even rejecting Paul who wrote this. It says, you reject the true and living God. Brothers and sisters, let me urge you, let me encourage you, let me implore you to avoid sexual immorality. Don't try to get as close as you can to the fire without getting burnt, but run in the opposite direction. Flee sexual immorality. But at this point, I actually want to pause and say, there is good news for you. There's good news for you if you've stuffed up in this area, if you've sinned. See, the main message of Christianity is not avoid, avoid sexual immorality. In fact, even about sex, that's not the main message. The main message is uh, about sex. God gave it to you. It's a good gift. Enjoy it and be thankful. But even that's not the main message of Christianity. The main message of Christianity is this. There is forgiveness. And here's the good news of Jesus. There is forgiveness. In 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6, it'll come up on the screen. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. It says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified, made holy. You were justified, declared innocent. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See that there? That's what some of you were. Although behaving... Uh, in the wrong way in regards to sex, is punishable by God, absolutely. The one who has turned back to him and away from the idol of sex, there is forgiveness. There is sanctification. There is justification, being declared innocent, and it's all in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I I don't know what you've done. I know what I've done. I know that it's bad. But I know from this verse that if I come to Jesus, which I have, I am washed. My past is gone. I'm clean. I'm forgiven. And guys, that's why I'm a Christian. He saved me. He saved me. I'm a sinner and he saved me. And if tonight you want to leave behind your past... And come to him for forgiveness. You will be washed completely clean. He loves you. And he wants you to come home. There's the main message of Christianity. There is forgiveness. And now I want to end by quickly just showing you the positive side of all the stuff that we've talked about. The positive side that we see in the passage here. Because there actually are a really um, good bunch of positive things to 
uh, ways that we can please God with sex. Have you ever thought about this question, what's God's will for my life? What does God want of me? What's my calling in life? Well, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look in verse 3, what's my, what does God want of me? What's God's will for my life? It says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Do you know what sanctified means? It means to be set apart. To be set apart for God. And if you're a Christian, you have been sanctified. You have been set apart for God. And you're now one of God's special people. And He wants you to live like one of His special people. He wants you to be different. He wants us to be salt and light. He wants us to be distinctive. He wants us to be light to the world. And so verse 4 says that each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. So controlling your body, it's actually not all negative. You can control your body in a good way as you struggle with sexual morality, as you struggle to fight it, as you seek to live a holy and honorable life. That's what God wants. It's holy in that it's a different and distinct life from everyone else at school. It's honorable in that well, it's honorable for you, but more than that, it's, it's honorable for God. As you live a different life, you're shouting at people that your God is a good God who wants his people to live a good life, the right kind of life. Last week, a girl in EV Youth told me about a friend of hers at school that wants to become a Christian because she's noticed that her friends at school who are Christians live differently. How good's that? Friends, this is not just a list of don'ts. It's a call to a really positive sort of life, a life with purpose, a life with dignity and meaning, a life that's choosing the best possible thing over the cheap substitute that's offered by our world. And yes, it's a struggle. But do you know how you're going to be helped in this? God lives in you. Verse 8 says that God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us. And so if you're a Christian tonight, God is living in you by his Holy Spirit to help you fight. And man, it does feel like a fight, a struggle. Struggling is good. And you're not alone in struggling. Can I, tell you, can I encourage you tonight that if you're struggling with sexual immorality, whatever form that may take, can I say, that's great. Do you know why? Because that's a sign that God's Spirit is in you. If you're not struggling with stuff, there's a good chance you're actually currently losing the battle because you don't realize that you're in one. I'd love our youth group to be a place where rather than being on about the things that the world is on about, we'd be on about the things that God is on about. Wouldn't it be great if rather than working out, okay, who am I going to date next? Who am I going to go out with? Is it going to be... Rather than working that out, maybe the best thing to work out is how we can all spur one another on to holy living, to living for God, to living different and distinct lives in the world. Rather than being preoccupied with sex, guys, let's be preoccupied with going to the greatest lengths to encourage one another, to build one another up, to remind each other daily that the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection happened on our behalf to remind each other daily of the hope that we have, to remind each other daily that Jesus is going to return. And maybe that will mean you won't waste time while you're at high school doing the whole boyfriend-girlfriend game. 
Oh, you're wasting your time because you probably won't get married to that person anyway. Maybe just don't worry about going out for the moment. Maybe just work on being godly. Work on building each other up in love and maybe wait till you're 18. Ah, oh, it's just a number I'm throwing out there. It's not a law. It's not wrong to go out with someone. Maybe older. <laughs> um, it's not wrong with, to go out with someone. But if you do, you must be godly. You must avoid sexual immorality. As we close, let me encourage you to keep on pleasing God and not pleasing yourself. Can we please God with sex? Yes, we can. By avoiding sexual immorality and by seeking to live a holy life. And verse 1 and verse 2 show that this church in Thessalonica, they're actually already pleasing God. They're actually already pleasing God with sex. And I think that lots of you guys are as well. And so can I say tonight, be encouraged. Keep avoiding sexual immorality and keep seeking to live a holy life. It's fantastic. You are pleasing God. Do it more and more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of your good gifts. This life you've given us, you've given us each other, you've given us the gift of sex. We pray that we would please you with it, that now we would live holy and honorable lives, different and distinct in the world, that, uh, that honor you. And we pray, please, that you would help us in this struggle against sexual immorality. Father, we pray that uh, many people would come to find the forgiveness that is offered in Jesus. And we thank you that at the end of all of this, the, the most important fact that stands above all of this is that we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.